It's a Georgia Senate runoff. So what happens now? Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm Greg Bluestein. And I'm Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. If you are just joining us for the first time, welcome, and be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Patricia, it's great to see you again, but I have to confess, it's great not being at 1 a.m. in the morning or 2 a.m. in the morning <laughs> like it was last podcast. Greg, I feel the exact same way. And I mean, it's good to see you. I feel like I've seen so much of you. I need to like change my rotation. I need to rotate my kids into it and my husband and my parents. So, But yes, right. it's great to catch up with you after six minutes. How yeah, have you right been? Now, right before we went on air, listeners, uh, Patricia got a call from her husband and she, and she goes, hey, it's Greg's on the phone. Wait, wait, everyone. <laughs> Don't say that. I am not your husband. Um, I know. It, you know, I, I ended up pulling an all-nighter that day and then thought I'd have a few hours of shut-eye during the day, but things got so busy and there were so many developments and we had an official runoff call. Last time we you heard from us, we were, you know, using couch terms because we weren't sure if it would be a runoff. Now we are 100% sure there will be a runoff because, um, you know, the, the, there was fewer uncounted ballots than the gap between uh, 50% plus one and uh, Warnock's uh, margins. So basically, it's mathematically impossible for there not to be a runoff, even even if every single ballot goes Warnock's way. Yes. So now we are in the final sprint here of the 2022 elections. We know what race we have left on the ballot. We know who the candidates are. It's just two candidates, not three in that Senate race. And so it's going to be a much clearer race to watch, much clearer race to cover. Um, Although we know that also there is going to be just all kinds of national money just flooding into this state like a tsunami. We're going to see lots of operatives coming in from around the country. I think it's also really going to depend on what happens with control of the U.S. Senate. That's becoming a little bit more clear. But if this comes down to being all about Georgia, we are going to be all about this runoff for the next four weeks. Yes, we will. But we'll also talk about some other issues. Before we get into those, though, I want to just Note that we're still couching in terms of whether or not uh, this race will decide control of the U.S. Senate, because as of this taping, we still don't know Arizona, we still don't know Nevada. If both of those break the Democrats' way, then Democrats control the U.S. Senate. And this race is still you know, uber important, it's just not for control of the chamber. Uh, let's listen to an MSNBC appearance that puts that in a different way. I, I just now understand that the stakes here are that Catherine yeah. Cortez Masto winning uh, would make Greg Bluestein's life much more boring. Uh, and so I know that that's the real stakes in this election. That's how they're going to do the campaign. Make Bluestein's life boring. That's going to be the campaign slogan. I can see it now. That's the famed Nevada reporter John Ralston on with Joy Reid on MSNBC on Wednesday night. And Patricia, you know, we love, uh, you know, another highly intense, super focused race for U.S. Senate here in Georgia, another runoff. But um, <laughs> we've, we've had our share of jaw dropping moments here in Georgia. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not favoring one outcome or another in terms of whether it, 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 it decides U.S. Senate control or not. But clearly, it would be a little less captivating if it did not. Yes. Well, I want to congratulate MSNBC for that really astute political analysis of how it would affect your life. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ralston. However, 
<laughs> yes, exactly. It's impressive. Um, however, no, it's true. It really does take the spotlight from a 10 to a 9.9 if control of the Senate doesn't come down to this. If control of the Senate does come down to this, I think it also changes who has the upper hand. So I think it's important in um, more than one way, whether or not it comes down to whether the control of the Georgia Senate seat also controls the chamber. We'll get right into that after a quick break. We'll also talk about the race to succeed House Speaker David Ralston. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Okay, Patricia, you were just talking about the stakes of this U.S. Senate election. We are already seeing the first ads and the NRSC, one of the most powerful groups, it's the campaign arm of the Senate Republicans. They released their first debut ad of the runoff campaign attacking Raphael Warnock. They took a slightly different angle than we've heard them take before. Let's listen. As this election miniseries continues, it seems like Raphael Warnock belongs in Hollywood, not Washington. Getting buried in peanuts, pretending to drive a bus, playing it back to the future. Warnock's a great actor. He just doesn't act like your senator. Spending, taxes, energy, you name it. Warnock votes with Joe Biden 96% of the time, and that act is getting old. NRSC is responsible for the content of this advertising. So, Patricia, we've heard certainly the Warnock equals Joe Biden line. But what we haven't heard is comparing him to a Hollywood figure. And they borrowed that directly from Governor Kemp's successful campaign against Stacey Abrams, in which he called her celebrity Stacey and compared her to liberal donors from New York and Hollywood and whatnot. So you can see that they're at least testing this message right now against Raphael Warnock and seeing if it sticks. And they don't have that much time to test it. Yeah, well, that is a really different tone from Republicans than we've been hearing from uh, from them on Raphael Warnock in the last several weeks. The last several weeks from the Herschel Walker campaign and from National Republicans have been very, very dark and uh, very aggressive on Raphael Warnock. And in fact, one of the ads that was getting the most play was the footage of Raphael Warnock's ex-wife calling him a great actor, talking to police about him. And so I feel like this is a little bit of a sort of a subliminal message, but buried underneath sort of like wacky slapstick music. I don't know 
who they're trying to reach out to, except perhaps those crossover voters who uh, they really need to come back to the tent. They need those Republicans who voted for Brian Kemp and then voted for Raphael Warnock. They need that group of people to come back and vote for Herschel Walker. Instead, we have always heard from Republicans that Republicans will come home at the end of the day on Election Day. Well, they did not come home to Herschel Walker. They came home to Brian Kemp. They came home down. They came home to every single other Republican on that ticket statewide, except not Herschel Walker. So they really need to appeal to that different group of voters. Most of the last um, several weeks of the campaign I wrote today was sort of like a CrossFit commercial gone awry. Like it was, <laughs> it was per- so yeah. much testosterone and so aggressive. And at one point, Lindsey Graham was like, Joe Biden makes me want to throw up. And, uh, you know, they had a radio personality talking about wanting to see reporters in the fetal position crying because they're so upset about all of this. So it, it's just been a very in-your-face campaign that just didn't get the job done. So you can see them retooling in real time and trying to see if we try the same message, but different tone, maybe that'll work also. Okay, on your point about those crossover voters, we've been talking about this for months on this show and in our coverage at the AJC. The split ticket trend was real. And in the final picture, about 200,000 fewer voters backed Herschel Walker than Brian Kemp. We in the AJC have a great map for you that will be embedded in a story that will run Friday that goes into deeper detail about these split ticket voters. But essentially, it shows, not surprisingly, that a number of them were in North Metro Atlanta suburbs. We're talking Cobb and Forsyth, Cherokee, Gwinnett counties, North Fulton in particular. But there was another big group of them up in extreme North Georgia, Whitfield County, Floyd County, and then the border counties along the Tennessee line. I thought that was really interesting. And, you know, Patricia, you you focused a column on this, but one of the best messengers for those split ticket voters is the guy who actually captured them, Governor Brian Kemp. And we're going to soon find out just how much work he's willing to put in to back Herschel Walker, because on the campaign trail, cozy is, a, is an understatement. They certainly weren't cozy. They had this very strained relationship, and it really came forward in the last few days of the campaign when both of them had rival events not far from one another on the Monday and the Tuesday, the final two days of this campaign. And it's not that Governor Kemp didn't offer his help. He and his team did offer to campaign with Herschel Walker. Governor Kemp said at the end of the campaign, um, with several days left, you know, I would be very open to that. I would look forward to being out on the stump with Herschel Walker. Uh, The Herschel Walker campaign just kept forward with their own plans, did their own events, their own solo events with a lot of Donald Trump-aligned Republicans as their surrogates instead of Governor Kemp as a surrogate. Now, the problem with that is that The most recent uh, Republican to win in this state is Brian Kemp. Donald Trump lost Georgia in 2020. And so you are working with the Republican who lost Georgia versus the one who just won Georgia. And so it would behoove the Walker campaign to uh, work with Governor Kemp, not just to sort of hear him endorsing Walker and uh, getting out on the stump and really speaking out on behalf of Walker, but also to lend the incredible power of his ground game. Governor Kemp built his own get out the vote operation outside of the GOP apparatus because they didn't want to get outworked on the ground in 2022 the way they did in 2021 in those runoffs. So he knows how to win in this state. He just won in this state. And it looks like there may be change on the horizon, but we're going to have to see. By the way, there's another reason he built his own get-out-the-vote apparatus, and that's because uh, facing a contested primary, 
the RNC and the state GOP wouldn't pick sides. And it's something that forced him to build his own apparatus and something that after after his uh, stun- his, his route of David Perdue in the primary, his campaign says, why don't we just keep it up? We can raise the money. We might not be able to match Stacey Abrams, but we can raise the money to keep this going and not have to rely what a lot of Republicans feel like is a very unreliable state Republican Party with David Schaefer in charge. You're already seeing money being directed around him to circumvent him. He backed some of the uh, Republican challengers of incumbent <laughs> incumbent Republicans. So that does not sit well with a lot of them. And the, the new leadership committee structure uh, allows uh, th- these groups to do that. So you're seeing that's another reason why campaigns and candidates might have a bigger role in ground games than the state parties do. Okay, let's listen to what Governor Kemp said about that work with Herschel Walker in an exclusive interview he conducted with our friends over at Channel 2 Action News. Already been in conversations with them already today and other folks that will be engaged there. I mean, I'm committed to helping the whole ticket. So, Patricia, you heard that. It kind of echoed what you just said, that he's willing to work with Herschel Walker's campaign, but has to be kind of a two-way street. Herschel Walker's campaign wants needs to want him. And I can't imagine a scenario where they don't because He's arguably the most popular Republican official in the state for sure. And he has the ticket. He can help get those swing voters. He can help get those Camp Warnock voters. You could have to assume at least some of them back into the Republican fold in this runoff. Yeah, you would think so. And certainly that's probably the best play to go out and get those voters is to get the ones who just voted for Kemp and um, have Kemp speak to them directly. And I think a message from him would sound a lot like I need a Republican partner in Washington. I need a Republican Senate in Washington. And Herschel Walker is the path to get there. So um, we'll see. This will be a really fascinating move by Herschel Walker's campaign. Do they go into it with Brian Kemp on their team, or do they go it alone? I think one tension that's out there is Donald Trump. Donald Trump, even though he did mention Brian Kemp's name on Monday night as somebody that people should vote for, he it is still very clear that he is still uh, not bearing the hatchet with Brian Kemp. No big fan of Brian Kemp. Is there any reason that in order to keep Donald Trump happy that the Walker campaign could not go out and partner with Brian Kemp in the process? We'll have to see. Yeah, and it's going to be a big question because the theme of the show is what happens now. And one of the biggest questions is what big time surrogates outside the state come in? I won't be shocked to see former President Barack Obama come in. Will we see Joe Biden? You know, probably not, but we could because this is a base turnout focus. And, you know, he's still popular with the base here, although it, it could hurt him with those swing voters when we're talking about Raphael Warnock's campaign. But I think just as big of a question is, does Donald Trump come in? And I've talked to Walker allies who say, yeah, let's bring in everyone with the R by their name, anyone who can help. That's the strategy that Karen Handel took way back when in the 2017 special election for a suburban house district where Donald Trump was not that popular. And, and her stance was, hey, we'll take all the help we can get. Or does he going to call wall off Donald Trump supporter, get support from him in other ways, like robo calls that are targeted and, and ads and, and that kind of thing that are targeted towards the MAGA base rather than having a big rally here where he could distract focus away from the Senate runoffs and towards his own likely presidential campaign. And when have we seen that happen before, Patricia? (laughs) Well, I think we saw that on January 4th, 2021. (laughs) uh, The night before those two Senate runoffs, Donald Trump was in Dalton in a frozen airfield, ostensibly to campaign for Loeffler and Purdue, and instead went on and on about how he was going to defeat 
Brian Kemp and uh, said that uh, Brian Kemp and Brad Raffensperger were not real Republicans. How could they be? They were so disloyal to him. He predicted their imminent doom and demise. And lo and behold, uh, he barely talked about Leffler or Purdue, um, talked quite a bit about how uh, voting machines in Georgia were not reliable, and really ended up losing the race for those two Republicans in the process, I think, is the read of most Republicans here in the state. So the idea of Donald Trump either declaring a run for president or coming to Georgia or both for Herschel Walker, um, that introduces a level of unknown and uncontrollable outcomes that I think makes a lot of Republicans nervous. You got it. Uh, um, before we take a break, another thing to expect, lots of ads. We already talked a little bit of that and lots of money pouring into the state. I don't think any race will ever rival or at least any, any, any race in the next 20 years will rival the billion dollars or so that was spent in the 2020 campaign. But, you know, we could get well past the $500 million threshold in this runoff scenario. Uh, luckily for Georgians, it's only four weeks rather than nine. So it it condenses the the, the, money, the big spending. But it, ju- it won't just be on ads. As you mentioned earlier, Patricia, the ground games are already being revved up all over again. It's such important work that is hard to capture. You don't see it happening in front of you all the time, but there are scores of volunteers and paid staffers who are out there knocking on doors, trying to energize voters, trying to get them recommitted to this. And for Raphael Warnock, it's a particular challenge because he's got to go get voters to vote for him for the fifth time since 2020. He's in five different contests since 2020 now. You know, I remember when this Senate seat became open, um, or when it became clear that uh, Johnny Isaacson was not going to run again when he announced that he would leave the Senate and it would be Kelly Loeffler, and Democrats were deciding who would get in. John Ossoff had already announced his challenge to David Perdue, who was a sitting senator, incumbent, very hard to knock off an incumbent, but he chose not to get into that open Senate race. And people were sort of like, why would he not do that? Why wouldn't you just go ahead and get in the race? And the answer was because whoever ran, because of the timing of the vacancy and then the immediate run for re-election two years later, whoever was running was going to run in at least two, possibly four, possibly five separate statewide elections over the course of two years. And most sane Democrats said, I'm not doing that. <laughs> there is no way I would do that. Um, Raphael Warnock got into it. He has ended up being an absolutely ferocious fundraiser for the Democrats. Also, I think because of Georgia Democrats' success in 2020, it's made fundraising a lot easier around here. And so he, we know he's going to have the resources. He will certainly have the boots on the ground. I would say that just about any Democratic staffer with nothing better to do, which is all of them at this point, they will be down here in Georgia knocking on doors trying to turn out the vote for Raphael Warnock. And the same for Republicans. This is going to be an all-out battle, almost a war of attrition at a certain point, all to come out and get those votes back out um, one more time for this U.S. Senate seat that people feel like they may have, this may feel like deja vu, you have voted for this Senate seat over and over and over. Well, you just got to do it one more time. That's going to be the message. Until 2026, when Ossoff faces whatever Republican, <laughs> one, of, one of the several Republicans we've talked about plenty on the show. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements. 
are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, with the other host, Patricia Murphy. Not only are we your hosts for the Politically Georgia, but we are also two of the three authors of the Daily Morning Jolt newsletter, which sets the stakes in the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. You can join the community now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. And your first month of unlimited digital access is just 99 cents. That's subscribe.hc.com slash podcasts so you always know what's really going on. Okay, Patricia, I've, I've told people this might be the third most important election in Georgia, and it's nothing to, to uh, denigrate the other statewide offices, but behind the U.S. Senate race and the race for governor, you've also now got an internal battle to succeed David Ralston as Speaker of the Georgia House. And it's in so important in so many ways. First of all, you know, it's the, the leader of a chamber that sets tax policy and writes basically the first draft of the budget, or at least reshapes the first draft of the budget. And without the speaker's support, really nothing gets passed or approved or rejected in Georgia. And it's also a battle that happens so rarely. We haven't seen a true fight for the speaker's gavel in 12 years. And that was when David Ralston won that job. And he's now at this moment, the longest serving current leader of a state house. So that just puts in context how rare this is in Georgia. And we're seeing that fight for leadership position really evolve really quickly. Yeah, this announcement took people very by surprise. And uh, it was news that very few people in the Capitol wanted. It The fact that it came uh, just days before the election, um, typically, if a speaker knew that they were going to be cycling out, you would get more notice, there would be a lot more behind the scenes planning of who could step in, who would this be, various factions would have probably already had their choices made and be working behind the scenes. But uh, this announcement from Speaker Ralston due to his own serious health concerns, really meant that this just put people on the starting line almost immediately. So on Monday morning, this week coming up, there will be conversations from Republicans, leadership elections already just about a week Mm -hmm. after the speaker made his announcement. And so that has really set off a frenzy of Republicans trying to figure out not just who do they want as their leader, but what direction is that going to set for this Republican Party? Uh, Just like Republicans at the national level, you can feel that there is a big split within the Republican Party here at the state level. And all you have to do is go to the different events of Governor Brian Kemp and Herschel Walker, and you can see these two incredibly different faces of the party. Both sides of that situation have lots of energy, lots of grassroots enthusiasm for both, probably more grassroots enthusiasm, actually, 
for uh, the further right uh, issues, for the social issues, for uh, the disruptors, really. The governor, on the other hand, has a much more traditional kind of chamber of commerce approach. Who the speaker is will likely align with one of the two of those, and that will really set the course for this caucus, but also for the kind of legislation that will be brought forward, the kind of legislation that will not be brought forward, just as important, and the real, the tone inside the House, as well as really, as we've talked about, that third leg of the stool of power in the state capitol. This person will work hand in hand and sometimes... Uh, fist against fist with the governor, with the leader of the state Senate. Uh, They all have their own institutional levels of power to wield. They all also have to at some point agree on something or else be capable of sort of fighting to the death and getting their way. In the end, um, Speaker Ralston had an immense amount of power, but he didn't use it uh, frivolously. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. He used it judiciously when he needed to. And so that meant when he made a move to make something happen, it just about always happened. I think of it this way too. I mean, many people in my neighborhood couldn't pick David Ralston out of a lineup, but he is one of the signature, he's one of the people who made Georgia what it is right now, right? Whether you like it or you don't like the policies, he is instrumental in those policies and whoever succeeds him will, will, these are not shoes you can easily fill, but will instantly be in that sort of upper pantheon of leaders in the state. And to catch our listeners up on what we've been covering in the pages of the AJC and online is that leadership battles has evolved rather swiftly. Right after the speaker made this announcement, we, we kind of figured there's three or four key folks who are competing to, to succeed him. That's House Majority Leader John Burns, Pro Tem Jan Jones, who's the number two Republican in the Georgia House, Matt Hatchett, who is a key ally of, of the Speaker, and Barry Fleming. Since then, of those four, two have already basically dropped out. Jan Jones said she would not run, and she's endorsing John Burns. And Matt Hatchett also said he's not running for a leadership post. A fifth person, Alan Powell, a longtime uh, Republican lawmaker from Hartwell, at first he said he was seriously considering a run. He is no, now no longer considering a run. He's also endorsed John Burns. So we can see the matchup here is between John Burns, who's a very close ally of David Ralston, and more of a, um, I guess you'd see mainstream, traditional legacy Republican is what some House lawmakers call him, not derisively, just that he's part of the institutional force of the of the Georgia House against Barry Fleming, who's also a long-serving member of the Georgia legislature. I, mean, I used to cover him when I worked for the Daily Report, <laughs> the legal newspaper about, geez, 18 years ago. Um, I used to cover his battle for the tort reform in Georgia. Um, so Barry Fleming, but he would bring a more combative approach, and he is definitely not a uh, an ally of Speaker Ralston. So the different camps have been formed, and there's also all sorts of races for some of the other leadership posts. And uh, as we learned at the uh, at Brian Kemp's party, because we saw a lot of rank and file state lawmakers there, there's going to be some really interesting votes for those. So we will be covering it for you. And Patricia, it sounds like you have a great column already in your mind because that was interesting framing that I really liked. About what's coming up with the state legislature? Yeah, it was just how, how there's the, you know, the, the two different faces of the Georgia Republican. Oh, yes. Thank you. I was not thinking about that as my column, but now I'm going to, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for getting me uh, primed and ready for Monday. Yes, my column on Monday for later in the week will definitely be about that. But thanks. Now I have a frame for it. Thanks. There I really go. appreciate that. Well, you that. came up with it. <laughs> now it's time for our favorite part of the show, the listener mailbag. <laughs> 
you can now right call on cue. right on cue <laughs> Shaney B. You can now call the Politically Georgia podcast hotline anytime. Talk to Shaney B. Leave a question. We'll play it back and answer your question right here on the podcast. The number is 770-810-5297. That's 770-810-5297. Shaney B., you and your interns have been waiting for this moment all week. Oh, man. We've been hard at work. We have an election under our belt, a runoff on our horizon. I mean, the phones just won't stop ringing. (laughs) We love it. Well, our first call... So last week, we did a Politically Georgia special, which featured our Washington correspondent, Tia Mitchell, and her friend, Roy Wood Jr., talking about the Daily Show taping here in Georgia. Well, Roy Wood Jr. made a comment on that show, and a caller had some questions about something he said. Here we go. This is Rob. I had a question about the last episode where uh, Tia Mitchell interviewed Roy Wood Jr., and Roy Wood Jr. talked about uh, gerrymandering and a stolen election. Uh, how does Governor Kemp gerrymander a gubernatorial election to steal the election? Uh, how, how does one gerrymander a statewide election? I'm very curious to know um, about how Governor Kemp steals this based off of what uh, Roy Wood Jr. said from T.M. Mitchell's reporting. Thanks for the podcast. Please keep up the great work. Have a great day. So that's a good question. Um, It's really not possible to gerrymander a statewide election because the state boundaries, of course, don't change between elections. Certainly, you can gerrymander congressional lines and state house and state senate lines. And I don't think there's much argument that that's not happening in many states across the country. Uh, Ironically, if you gerrymander a congressional district or state house and state senate district to the point that it is simply no longer competitive, that can actually hurt you statewide because those voters don't feel the need to come out for a competitive race. So that can, in some cases, depress statewide turnout if those are no longer competitive races. So you need to do a whole lot more work on the ground to give those people a reason to go back out to the polls if their own races are not even up for grabs. Yeah, Rob, just to, just to emphasize the point, you can't gerrymander state lines unless you have an act of Congress that moves those state lines, uh, which is not what anyone is talking about. Although every so often there is a push to get some more of Tennessee's water by moving the state border just a few, <laughs> just a few miles north to get a slice of the Tennessee River. And you can find all my coverage about that over the years because I love that <laughs> issue. Um, you do love, you love those water wars. Oh, man, I love that issue. Um, isn't that crazy? Um Uh, Shaney B., what's our second question? Next question is a request from Christian. Hi, Greg and Patricia. I was just calling, hoping that maybe you would do a live event in Athens like the one you did at Marlowe's Tavern a couple of weeks ago. It would be fun to be able to see all without having to sit in two hours of traffic. So put that request on the books. Shaney B., get on that. Man, another excuse to go to Athens. I'm actually going to be in Athens this coming week to speak to Charles Bullock's class. He was my professor, and he also assigned my book as a syllabus <laughs> requirement. So he said, Bluestein, you got to come now. And I said, you know it. Um, but no, any excuse to come to Athens, I love, especially if it's around a football Saturday. What about you, Patricia? Yeah, Christian, I love that idea. I do want to point out that I would say one-tenth of Greg Bluestein's life actually is a live event in Athens. <laughs> Something <laughs> is going on in Athens. And Greg is probably there in some capacity for work or play, um, but it usually ends up in the newspaper anyway. So, But uh, Christian, I love that idea. Count me as a plus one. 
We're in, Christian. We love it. Okay, Shaney B, it is time for our who's up and who's down, and we have some great theme music. It's always, I don't know why, but it always reminds me of where in the world is Carmen San Diego, even though it doesn't sound like that at all. Uh, Patricia, let's start as we always do on a negative so we can end on a positive. Who is your who's down for the week? My who's down is an eight-weight tie for the Democrats on the ballot below Stacey Abrams. I hate to split it up among eight people, but I think all eight of them most definitely are down. This was supposed to be the year for Georgia Democrats are after flipping two Senate seats and uh, President Joe Biden winning the state in 2020 and Stacey Abrams at the top of the ticket felt like this was really going to be the time for some of their most talented people to get elected statewide. That just didn't happen. And uh, I've talked to a number of them today. You know, they're not all saying that they're done with politics, but it uh, is definitely a who's down for now. Yeah. And, and Patricia, just to add to that, it was it was interesting taking a deeper dive into those down ticket numbers because in a few cases, some of those down ticket candidates actually outdid Stacey Abrams. Jen Jordan, Charlie Bailey, I think, also just slightly outdid Stacey Abrams. So that just tells you how the top of the ticket, in Stacey Abrams' case, did not necessarily buoy the bottom of the ticket with those candidates that you talked to. My who's down, uh, I'll take a little different twist, has got to be Herschel Walker. Because in such an environment that so favored Republicans, where Brian Kemp is leading the ticket with a, basically in Georgia in these days, a blowout victory over Stacey Abrams and every other Republican candidate easily fended off their Democratic challenger. Herschel Walker was not only brought below 50% of the vote, but actually outpolled by Raphael Warnock. He had slightly more voters than his Republican rival. And so that just points to uh, the challenges he faces in this December 6th runoff. The Walker campaign, I think, was taken by surprise by a more muted turnout than they expected. Their turnout models had significantly more, hundreds of thousands of more voters who they thought would have leaned Republican showing up, and they just did not get that turnout that they expected. And now we're in four weeks more of a runoff. And instead, I mean, they should be kind of counting their blessings because it was Raphael Warnock who came this close to what would have been a hugely surprising upset victory. I mean, going into this, and we've talked about this show, I always thought this would go to a runoff, but I thought if anyone's going to win it outright, especially with all that false talk of a red wave, it would be Herschel Walker instead. Uh, that, you know, Georgia might be one of the only places where there was a wave for Republicans, but instead that wave did not uh, fuel Herschel Walker over the finish line. Yeah, I talked to a number of Republicans who thought that Walker expected Walker to finish at 51%. I don't know if those were internal polls or just a feeling. There was also the hope that if Brian Kemp could finish with a big enough margin over 50% that that would just pull Herschel Walker over the line. That definitely happened for most of the down ticket Republicans, even the ones who are, you know, relatively unknown. But it certainly did not uh, get the job done for Herschel Walker. Now you have to hit the reset button. He's mm -hmm. not going to have Brian Kemp at the top of the ticket. Senate control may or may not be at play. That's going to be totally out of his control, out of their control. So, you know, obviously they would rather have much rather have wrapped this up and be on their way to Washington instead. And since you had an eight-way tie, I'll do one more quick who's down. It's Georgia's runoff law. Um, you know, some other states have either scrapped their runoff law. 
gone to rank choice or made the uh, made the threshold lower, forty five percent. You know, anyone above forty five percent or some other number. You know, it's an antiquated system. Its roots are in segregationist era racist policies, frankly, um, that were meant to uh, to block African American candidates from winning elections if the white vote was split sufficiently. And uh, I still, you know, I guess we can thank those antiquated laws for this four-week runoff, but I'd also say that law is a who's down. Okay, Patricia, who's your who's up? My who's up is going to Republicans in the state, uh, particularly Brian Kemp, who did much better with minority communities than they had in the past. Republicans here, uh, Garrison Douglas is somebody who we should point to, have been working very hard. He works for the RNC, but uh, the Kemp team has done this as well. Kelly Leffler's team did this as well, have all been working to specifically be in communication and in community with Latino voters, Asian American voters, Black voters. They feel like those are groups that have not gotten the right amount of outreach in the past from Republicans and want to be out there making their case to Republicans that they have more in common than maybe they think they do. So the result this time was uh, Governor Brian Kemp won 43% of Latinos, 46% of Asian Americans. He kept Stacey Abrams' numbers below where she was in 2018, even with black voters. And so that is a not just a big win for Republicans, although you know, they didn't get the majority of those votes. It really puts Democrats on notice that they're going to have to do much more with minority communities if they want to um, guarantee that they'll be able to keep them in their tent. Patricia, my who's up? I'll take another twist. Mine is Senator Warnock. He is the last Democratic candidate on the 2022 ballot is running statewide left standing. And, you know, we talked so much and we've written so much about how Democrats really surged in 2018 and 2020 uh, because they lean more to the left and they embraced issues like abortion rights, like same-sex marriage, like gun control, all these issues that were considered unthinkable not long ago. Well, I'd say that Senator Warnock has pulled off, at least for now, a pivot that has helped them get this far because on the campaign trail, he's not focusing necessarily on these liberal issues that really um, helped elect him in 2020. Instead, he's talking about how he's the 18th most bipartisan senator based on a uh, advocacy group's rankings. He's talking about working with Ted Cruz and Tommy Tuberville and Marco Rubio on legislation, and he's still appealing to that swing voter. We'll see if that strategy continues doing a runoff where it's a lot more about base turnout than swing voter turnout, but it's gotten him this far. And you know, he's other than Sanford Bishop, he's the, he's the biggest winner. Uh, and Sanford Bishop's the uh, the congressman who won by about ten points down in Southwest Georgia, even though it was, it was seen as the state's most competitive U.S. House race. The two of them are the biggest Democratic winners in this November midterm. We here at Politically Georgia would love to know what you think of our podcast. Please click the link in today's episode description. Answer a few questions so we'll know how to make this podcast even better for you. Well, thanks so much for listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. You can count on new episodes to come out every Wednesday, every Friday, or whenever news breaks. So I can see even more of Patricia 17 times this week alone. <laughs> we'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years and I am still amazed at how rich the city's black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. 
It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh, 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 oh,